He uh, gave us these words. It pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. It pays every step of the way. And so it does. It pays to serve Jesus Christ. Now, the devil would have us to believe that it doesn't pay to serve Jesus. You're wasting your life. You're spoiling all the fun that you could be have doing other things and all the other opportunities. Now, in this parable today, we're going to remind ourselves that it does pay to be a responsible servant of Jesus Christ, a responsible servant of Jesus. I heard about a man who went to apply for the job. The employer said to the applicant, in this job, sir, we need someone who is responsible. The applicant said, oh, well, then I'm the one you want because on my last job, every time anything went wrong, they said I was responsible. <laughs> well, uh, that's what we need. We need, however, those who are responsible for doing right for Jesus Christ. And really, that's what this is all about, this whole parable. Uh, I've really heard this parable explained in from left to right, and uh, I hope this morning we can get a sense of what the Scripture is teaching. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that it pays to serve Jesus. May we be responsible servants of the Lord, and I pray that, Lord, you will meet with us this morning. Thank you for the beloved fellowship. We've already had the sweet time of prayer and worship. Lord, you're a great God, and it does pay to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to Matthew chapter 19, the last verse, verse number 30, if you would, and then we're actually going to spend the most time in chapter 20. But for whatever reason, uh, the King James uh, translators uh, and those who put chapter divisions in Scripture uh, kind of uh, put this uh, verse in the last part and really does connect with what was before, but it actually uh, is a bookend for what we're going to talk about. And verse 16 of chapter 20 is the one end, and then the beginning of it is the verse 30 of chapter 19. So let's go, and let, i tell you what let's do. Something We're going to read all the way through this passage, kind of get it in our brain, and then we'll come back on it and pick it apart. All right, so let's read it out loud together. Uh, be on the overhead here, or you can uh, get your app out or get your hard copy, but uh, let's read it together. Ready? Begin. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth hour and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. And he saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, 
they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that as thine is, go thy way, and I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? And then on this last verse, please together. So shall the last be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. Because uh, God basically uh, gives us uh, the thesis in verse 30, and then uh, gives us the balance of what he's talking about, and then bookends it again in verse 16, we know that he's trying to get across some very important truth. Now, I see three elements uh, here this morning I want to talk about. First of all, we get the uh, thesis statement, the lecture, the main point. And what is that? And that is this, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called. Many are called. Now, basically what Jesus is saying here is that everybody can be saved. Many meaning everybody. Many can be saved, or the word is called there. But sadly, few are genuinely born again. Sadly, many choose not to receive the precious gift of God. And so that's what that verse basically means, is that everybody can be saved, everybody's called to be saved, but few really receive it. It's up to them to receive the gift of God. And so in one respect, this whole passage deals with salvation, but actually more it deals with service for Jesus Christ. And why do we say that? Because the whole essence is about working. And nobody works their way to heaven. It has been said heaven is not a reward for the righteous, but a gift for the guilty. And so here this passage is about working. And so no one works their way to heaven. I don't think the primary sense of this passage is about salvation, although certainly it fits. Now, I think what he's talking about is that it pays to serve Jesus, to be a chosen servant of God. There is blessings and favor. Now, God has an upside-down world that we live in. It's called the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is this world we live in with all the opportunities to serve God. God has laws in this kingdom. Uh, He has ways that He functions in this kingdom. He has ways that He wants us to function. For example, God said, if someone compels you to go to a mile, in this world, you would say, I'm not going, I'm not going stinking mile. <laughs> you know, no, I'm not even going one mile. But he said, if you're part of the kingdom of God, you have a different law. Say, no, I'm not going a mile. I'm going two. I'm going two. If he asks you to go one mile, you go two. If love, tough life gets rough, 
You just keep on going. And so it's an upside-down kingdom is what he's saying. And here, because of this upside-down kingdom, that's what he's explaining in this verse. He is saying it really pays to serve God. Now, the devil wants you to know that it doesn't pay God. But God says, no, in fact, it really pays. And so that's the thesis statement, that it pays to serve the Lord. Everybody can be a choice servant of the Lord if you want to. The lecture. That's the thesis. Now, what's the legend or what's the story? What's the parable? And thank God for this parable because it, and I love it as I read through it, every little sentence is meaning something. Now look at verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder. Now the word householder actually is two Greek words, the second of which is one who is a despot or one who is an absolute uh, ruler, a dictator, really. And it's meaning that this man has a quite large estate, and he rules it, and he really makes sure that things are done right. We know that this man probably has a large estate because he has quite a few laborers working for him, and then he needs some additional day laborers. And so it says that early in the morning, verse 1, early in the morning. Now, the Jewish day would begin at six o'clock. And so by six o'clock, men were already gathered in the marketplace, the agora of the little villages, sometimes the bigger towns. And they would uh, work all the way until six at night. They served and worked six 12-hour days. And then on the Sabbath, they would rest. That's a lot of work for sure. And so here's what would happen. In those days, these workers would come these day laborers who perhaps had had, were down on their luck a little, or uh, whatever the case being, the, they were not able to work for somebody uh, as an ongoing servant, or they didn't own land, but they were hard workers, and so they were willing to come, maybe pick up some extra work. They would come in the morning at 6 a.m. Now, there were two basic types of land in Israel. There are the plains. Now, in the plains, like the uh, the valley of Jezreel, like uh, Megiddo, which uh, later in the book of Revelation is called the valley of Armageddon. These, uh, these plains, they would, of course, uh, graze for some cattle, but mostly sheep. And then uh, they would also plant things like uh, wheat and barley and other things like that. So the, the plains were for one type of uh, farming. But the vineyards, as we're talking about here, those were done on the foothills or even on the more mountainous areas. And that's where you would have these vineyards, or they would also grow apples. Sometimes the Scripture talks about the apple of the eye or talks about different things like that. But mainly in Israel, and even still today, that's exactly the way it is, that the vineyards are built on these mountainsides. Now, it's often terraced. And the, the way they would do that is they would take these large rocks and they would build up these steps and then they would, uh, because there wasn't a lot of topsoil, they'd bring topsoil from down in the valley. They'd take it by bucket load on their shoulders, crawl their way up those terraces, they'd dump it in those little flat areas, and then later they would put the uh, vineyards in. Now, let me just say this, just as a footnote to us uh, 21st century people, because I've heard people uh, use verses like this to validate that Christians ought to be out there drinking alcohol. Uh, Every time you uh, see the word vineyard in Scripture, now when we say the word vineyard, 99.9% of the people think wine, you know, alcoholic wine. But that's not the way it was back then. Vineyards back then had grapes. I mean, that's just, it was just grapes. 
They, uh, there's a lot of food products out of it. They would have raisins. They had food paste. Uh, they had vinegar that they would get from it. Uh, and then the juice, and it ranged from just uh, juice to kind of a vinegary type juice. Very seldom, really, was it actually alcoholic. And then when it was, it was not very much alcohol content. And so uh, they loved their vineyards. It was absolutely vital to them because it takes very little water. They get a lot of juice out of it. There's just a, a great product for them to have. And so they loved the vineyards back then. There was a lot of work to that, not only in preparing it, but then they would keep the weeds out. They would prune the, uh, the little uh, grapes there. They even had insect pest control. Because we have so many pest control guys in our church, I was uh, just kind of on a lark. I said, I wonder if they had pest control back at that time. Sure enough, Google, you know, they're always able to find something for you. And uh, I found out that back in the Roman days and Grecian days, they had insect pest control on their vineyards, uh, various uh, substances. And so can you imagine people up there with little pots of cumin? They would use cumin. They would also use olive oil. And even like today, they use sulfur. Even today, 2,000 years later, all of these vineyards around here get to sulfur to kill those certain pests. And so the point I'm making is vineyards are a lot of work between getting the, uh, the, the dirt in there, between uh, making sure they're pruned, sure taking care of the insects, making sure they're tied up, and then harvest time. Harvest time was usually in September, kind of like it is around here. And it was a very hectic time because if you didn't get those uh, grapes at a perfect time, they would either sour or they would turn to raisins. And uh, so uh, they needed to get this harvest taken care of. All right. So whatever workers they could get, they, this was an intense time. They needed everybody on board. Verse 2. And it says that he agreed with the laborers, these day laborers, for a penny a day. Now, the, this is where the King James Version is interesting because they didn't have pennies back then. All right, They had uh, denarius. And the denarius is what they were talking about. Now, one denarius was a day's wage. Now, if we were to say a penny for a day, oh man, that's terrible. But actually, we're talking about a, an actual pretty decent salary. Uh, that's not a bad amount, a denarius for a day. But these day laborers, they weren't able to negotiate. Basically, the owner, the, the despot of this estate came and said, this is the way it is. It's a denarius. That's what I pay. Uh, you take it or leave it. And so uh, even though this is a story, even though this is a parable, this was a very vivid, colorful story. They got it. They got the understanding. Verse number three, and he went about the third hour. All right. So the, the first hour begins at six o'clock in the morning. The third hour then, three hours later, we're talking about nine o'clock in the morning. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Now, that doesn't mean that they were um, lazy people. It just means that they had not been working yet. And uh, they had been standing around for at least three hours, probably longer, because I'm sure they got there early. And so now this time, the, this landowner, this estate uh, person, he comes and he uh, says, uh, now, he said, here's what... Uh, I'm going to do. I need workers. Come on, get out there in that field. He doesn't even tell them how much he's going to pay. I'll just, he just says, I'm going to pay what's right. And they were knew that, frankly, uh, there was already three hours into the day. Uh, 
even if I get work today, I'm just grateful. So I'm not going to quibble or I'm not going to try to negotiate. Whatever you want to do is fine with me. And of course, in a village, uh, people knew what people were like. And so they knew if this man paid his bills, they knew if he was a generous type of owner. And so uh, they were good with it. Verse 5. And then he went out again about the sixth hour. Boy, he must have had a big old crop and needed workers. So the foreman said, boss, we need some more workers. He said, okay, well, I'll go on down to the marketplace, see if I can find some more. So he goes down at noontime. These fellows have been down there now for six solid hours standing there. And uh, he hires some more. He goes back at three o'clock in the afternoon, did the same thing. Now you can imagine Jesus telling this story. The people are listening closely. It, it happened, maybe not often like this, but they were thinking, man, that's amazing. That must have been a huge crop. They must have really needed some workers. And at three o'clock, the, uh, the owner did the same thing. Verse six, and at the 11th hour, okay, now quitting time is 6 p.m. So this is the 11th hour. This is 5 p.m. I mean, there's only one hour left in the workday, and the fella still goes out. It says, verse 6, he went out and found others standing idle. Again, they're not lazy, just hope against hope that maybe somehow at the end of this day, I still might be able to get an hour of work in. may not be a lot of money, but maybe I might get a, a few quarters here, you know, as we might say. Why stand you here all day idle? He kind of puts it back on them. He said, how come you guys are still here? I'm amazed that you're still here. Verse 7, they said unto him, because no man hath hired us. And he saith unto them, go into the vineyard, go into the vineyard. And whatsoever is right, that shall you also receive. Now, I'm sure that at six o'clock in the morning, that owner went in there. He looked at that lineup of people and he looked for the guys that big old muscles, kind of like I'm looking here this morning. And he looked at those guys. He said, okay, that guy has some big muscles. We'll get him out there. And uh, I'll pick that guy and I'll pick that guy. At uh, 12 o'clock, he picked, you know, maybe the second tier. At three o'clock in the afternoon, he was just kind of looking for anybody. At five o'clock, the old guys actually like me, the old cripple, he said, I'll even take you old guys. Get on out there and work. And those guys are kind of crippling, you know, okay, I'm coming, boss. And uh, at five o'clock, again, no negotiation. I'll just trust me. I'll pay you. I'll make you right. Verse eight. And so when even has come, the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, his manager, his foreman, call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. So it's quitting time. The bell rings, you know, maybe he has a shofar over there. Oh, man, back-breaking work done. And they had no shade structures. They had no brakes. I mean, it was tough business. And the horn goes off. They're so excited. End of the day, they get paid at the end of the day. They're so excited. They line up to get their pay. And the householder says something very unique. Now this, I'm sure, captured the attention of the people. He said, I want you to begin paying the guys who we hired at 5 o'clock. 
The manager, the foreman said, what? Why? I mean, they just, they're even lucky they're here, but you want me to pay them first? Really? Okay, I'll pay them first. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pay them as though they had worked for the entire day. So he gets that denarius out. One denarius now is a full day's labor. We're talking some good money. We're not talking a penny. That's not what we're talking. We're talking good money. And the guy who comes at five o'clock and works for one hour, the old codger that can hardly work, carried a couple grapes at baskets, God gives him, he gives him this amazing amount. He gives him the whole day. Well, when the other workers saw that, they saw sugar plums. If that guy who got hired at five o'clock gets a whole day's wage, oh my goodness, what am I going to get? Verse nine, and when they that came were hired about the 11th hour, they received every man a penny. And when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. Like I said, in their mind, even though they had agreed for a day's wages, in their mind, when they saw that guy who got all this at five o'clock for working one hour, in their mind, they said, if he gives him a whole day's wage for an hour, I worked 12 hours, I'm going to get 12 days of money for 12 hours. I can't believe it. He's so excited. But then it says, likewise, they received every man a penny. I'm sure they looked at that, looked at the foreman, looked over at the boss. Um, <laughs> did you, you guys forget something here? You know, kind of like some of those uh, people, you know, you go to a hotel and they take your bags, you know, and up there and they stand there at the door saying, uh, are you happy? Yes, I'm happy. Thank you. Uh, did everything go right? Yes, everything went all right. Are you, you like your room? You know, their hands out. Do you like your room? I like my room. Finally, it dawns on you. Oh, yeah, they want some money. You know, okay. Here's a couple of dollars, you know. And uh, so I'm sure these uh, fellows were like that. They were thinking, um, <clears throat> uh, the old guys that came at 5 o'clock, you gave them a full day's wage for one hour. <laughs> and, but they didn't get it. Oh, so they thought, well, you know what, even though I didn't get it, it's no problem. Uh, I'm just happy for these other people. Well, you know, human nature, that's not what they did. Verse 11, and when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house. And he is a good man for sure. And they murmured. It's an interesting thing about that particular Greek word murmured. It's actually not a word. It's a sound. <laughs> it's a funny thing. Like some things in the Bible are called transliterated words. So it's a Greek word that just was anglicized, like baptism. The Greek word is baptizo. The, ang the English word is baptism. It really doesn't explain what it is. So it's not a translation. But this is not even a transliteration. This is just like a, a sound. And the sound is something like grrr. And even though it's not a word, it spoke volumes. Amen. So these guys are looking at their one denarius, which is still good money, but is not what they were expecting. And while they don't say a word, they're going, rrr, 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 rrr. they murmured, 
Verse 12, saying, now they go ahead and uh, speak up. And uh, they start uh, bellyaching. These last have wrought but one hour, and now has made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat. Interesting, the word they use there in the heat, it's actually like a the blast furnace, that's the word there. It's like a, like a scorching. <laughs> they were kind of being a little bit dramatic here. Oh, we were in the heat of the day, and it was like a blast furnace out there, and that's what we were doing, you know. They're, they're, they're kind of making up their little story here. Verse 13, but he answered one of them and said, Friend, <laughs> I did you no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take the design and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Now, the word friend there is not like the word friend that we might use. If I say, hey, friend, that's, that's a, a term of endearment. <laughs> this friend is kind of a terse, kind of like we'd be saying bud. You know, if you're down in Australia, it's, uh, hey, mate, you know, um, move on over, mate. And uh, it's like fella. It's like, you know, dude or, you know, <laughs> something like that. And basically he's saying, listen, hey, bud, I don't know what your problem is. I did exactly what we agreed on, and that's what you got. And then he gives a wonderful principle, by the way, a, a great business principle as well as a wonderful spiritual principle. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? And uh, this idea of communism and socialism, by the way, is from the pit of hell. Here, that's capitalism right there. I own it. I have a right to do with it what I want. And I, the, the redistribution of the wealth is uh, unscriptural for sure. It is not lawful for me to do what I want with my own. And the government's not supposed to take it and redistribute it. Is thine eye evil because I am good? Basically, here's what the owner says. He said, honestly, it's actually none of your business what I pay the other workers. It is only your business what I have agreed with you. Now, if I haven't uh, fulfilled my obligation, if I haven't done what I'm supposed to, then we'll certainly uh, take that up. We certainly deal with that. But he said, if I gave you exactly what I said, then there should be no problem. What your problem is, not that I didn't do what I'm supposed to. Your problem is you have an evil eye. It just means you're jealous. You're jealous because they got the same amount you did for a lot less work, and it's just bothering you. And uh, they just couldn't stand somebody else that was getting more than them, it would seem like in their mind. And it's a funny thing about human nature. Uh, my wife and I were waiting for a little event uh, recently, and so uh, we were in this little auditorium waiting for the event. And so while we were waiting, uh, they showed some candid camera clips I love candid camera. I don't hardly ever see it anymore, but I mean, I'm telling you, it is hilarious. And they had this one particular episode where they sent an actor into a grocery store. So he goes into this grocery store, and the point was to cut into line, asks if he can cut into line. And uh, the person kind of looks at him like, okay, well, fine. And he cuts into line, gets up to the checkout, and when the checker checks him out, all of a sudden, the lights start shining and the music starts playing and a person runs out from the back room with this big giant check for a thousand dollars. 
He is the one millionth customer. And uh, he is so excited that he won this, this million dollars. Or excuse me, this thousand dollars for being the millionth customer. Well, the funny thing, of course, is the reaction of the people that let him cut into line. One man just took his stuff and threw it on the thing and walked off. And uh, one lady went over to the manager and gave her uh, some, well, he didn't uh, give him heaven for sure. But anyway, he, he went over there and he, they, she was really upset, you know, as you might imagine. The fact is, all of us on that candid camera, little routine captured it. I don't know that we're always so excited about other people's blessings. And that's, uh, that's what they're saying here. And that's what Jesus is pointing out. He's saying, you know what? Folks, you ought to be excited for the blessings of others. It pays to do what you're supposed to do. Just do what the good man says. The lecture, the story, the legend, and now finally the lessons. It's quite a story. And you will admit with me this morning that this is not a politically correct story. Can you imagine what the uh, EEOC and the Washingtonian lawyers would do if they got a hold of God? You're an unfair employer, unfair, paying and not equal wage. And oh, I mean, tell you, it would be whatever. Today, everybody's crying out, we want what we deserve. We want what we deserve. And I remind all of us this morning, folks, thank God we don't get what we deserve. Amen. Amen. And that's what this story is saying here. Now, what is the point in this story? Number one, the householder. That's God. He is one rich man. And I will tell you, our God is very rich. He is rich in love, and He is rich in His care for His own. He is the householder, and He is absolutely a despot. He is the absolute Lord and King of kings. The vineyard is the world that we live in, and there's all kinds of uh, different uh, places to live in this great vineyard, but it's all in the sphere of the householder's rule. It makes no difference if you live in America or if you live in Africa, whether you live in Antarctica or whether you live in Alaska. The fact is we are all part of God's vineyard. Everybody is beholding to the householder. The laborers are those who come to salvation, but more, and really I think the real theme of this is they come into service for God. The day is the scope of a person's lifetime. And by the way, life really is just a day, isn't it? Before you know it, it's noon. And then all of a sudden, it's three in the afternoon. And then you turn around, and by the way, it's five o'clock at night. And you've got an hour to live. The day is the scope of a person's life. And then the eternity, excuse me, evening, is eternity future. At evening time, at 6 p.m., the bell goes off. The horn blows. And that is my departure into eternity future. It is reckoning day. And then to Denarius, that's eternal life. Hallelujah. Once I am truly born again, I have the riches of heaven and they are never to be taken away from me. And the amazing thing is if I get saved at five or six years old, like I did, or if a person gets saved when they're 86 years old, they all get the same Denarius. Did you know that heaven's the same for every person? It's not one person's going to live in a better mansion than another person here. God says it's the same for all. Some people serve Christ their whole life. Other people serve Him only for a bit. You have the great apostle Paul who got saved as an adult, and uh, he went on to serve Christ faithfully for decades. You have the penitent thief 
who got saved and went to heaven in just a few minutes. Some uh, commentary wisely said that, you know why there's only one penitent thief story in the Bible? To remind us that, thank God, even in the last minute of your life, you can be saved. But not so many stories like that to remind you, you ought to count on that. You ought to remind yourselves that that's uh, not the way it often is. In fact, it's often the opposite. You know, Pastor Mike and I have vastly different starting lines. I was born into a Christian home. I was raised by a pastor. But the amazing thing about both of our lives is that we have the same finish line. By God's grace, I've never been drunk. By God's grace, I've never been high. I've been spared a lot of bad things. Pastor Mike's been very transparent about his past, but the main thing is, whether we uh, have different beginnings, the main thing is we have the same finish line. We both are going to have the same heaven. We both get paid the same amount, the same wonderful heaven. Thank God heaven is not on a merit system, amen. Someone once said heaven is, goes by favor. If it went by merit, you would stay out and your dog would go in. <laughs> Amen. Now, there are five lessons on salvation and service I see here. Number one, God is setting the terms. God is setting the terms. We're told here that nobody has the right to negotiate with God. Not one of these laborers negotiated. God said to the first ones, I'll give you a denarius. That's it. He said to the second ones, I'll just give you what I'm going to give you. Just trust me. In fact, the amazing thing about trusting God is that they got far more than they would have ever dreamed. But you can't negotiate with God. The rich young ruler thought he could. He came to Jesus and Jesus said, if you want to be saved, you must do this. The rich young ruler said, no, that's not what I'm going to do. He refused to pay what God told him he had to pay. In Psalm chapter 3 and verse 8, that says, salvation belongeth to the Lord. It's God's salvation. Therefore, it's God's to give or God's to withhold. He, and he alone sets the parameters. The plan is you either accept God's gift or you reject it. That's the only options. There's no other plan. Well, I'm no charity case. If I can't work my way to heaven, I'm not going. Well, then you're not going. I remember knocking on a door in Lodi. For some reason, it left an impression in my mind. But uh, he seemed like a pleasant enough fellow, and we talked about the Lord for a few moments. And then he said something that I know it really made a lot of sense to him. He said, well, pastor, I will tell you this about God. He said, God and me, we have an understanding. Meaning, I don't really need church stuff, and I don't need this born again. I don't need to be saved because God and me, we kind of have our own way of doing things. We, we have an understanding. Well, I remind that man that salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is not of Larry or whatever his name was. Salvation is of the Lord. It comes from God. You don't have an understanding with God. I don't negotiate with God. The fact is, he said, believe and trust. That's the only way. You can't say, well, I'm going to go another way. It doesn't work that way. No one can uh, negotiate with the householder. He's an absolute dictator. Verse 2, or excuse me, the second point, God is saving throughout time. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm glad God is saving at 6 in the morning. We have precious little children around here that get saved at 4 years old. Four years old, trust Christ as their Lord and Savior. I mean, they know it. Man, they know it. They are saved, and it's exciting. Now, they're not repenting of some wicked lifestyle, but they're giving up bubble gum, and they're upset about 
you know, spitting at their brother or sister. But at six years old or five years old or four years old, they get saved at six in the morning. Others get saved at nine o'clock in the morning. Some get saved at noon. Others later in their life at three o'clock. And hallelujah, some people get saved at five o'clock. The 11th hour, I mean, right before they die. One of our dear family members here, a few months ago, we had the pleasure of being called to the bedside of a man who was in his 80s. And he had rejected Jesus all his life. And I walked in there and I just looked at him and said to him, I said, sir, don't you think it's time for you to settle up with God? You're about ready to meet God. He looked at me and said, Pastor, I'm ready. And uh, I prayed with him. I'm t- you talk about 11th hour. It wasn't 5 o'clock. It was 5.59. I mean, within 24 hours, he had slipped into eternity. Now, folks, I'm glad that eternity, salvation can come, redemption can come at any time until 6 o'clock. But then at 6 o'clock, judgment comes. John chapter 9, verse 4 said, I can work the works of him that sent me while it's day. But when the night comes, no man can do any work. If you are alive, don't quit. Seek God. He will save you. There's never too late to start serving God. And that's what this is talking about. No matter how late it is, keep serving God. You'd say, well, man, I'm getting saved at 60 years old. What do I have to do for God? Who knows what God could have you to do? But you know what? If it's five o'clock in the evening, get saved. There's a third lesson I think we're learning here, and that is that God is redeeming the willing, or He is using the willing. Now, there was only one requirement for those who were willing to work. They had to be willing. The good householder said, are you willing? Are you willing to work? He didn't look him over and say, well, maybe you could work, maybe you couldn't work. He just said, are you willing? Are you willing? Are you ready? They had no resources. Some were at the beginning of life, some were at the end. But isn't it amazing, the compassion of our great God, the owner of this great vineyard, who will save people who still can't serve him but for a few minutes. You talk about grace. Someone took the word grace and made an acrostic out of it. It's well known. God's riches at Christ's expense. And it's amazing. Whether I get saved at six years old or whether I get saved at 96 years old and have but a few minutes to serve God, we get paid the same. And then the fourth lesson, God is blessing those who work. One thing we see from this story is very definitely fact that God blesses those who work. He has payment. He has payment. Now we, over the 19 years we've been working on this property, uh, we love to tell people who work, we, used to, we love to say, you know what, uh, your pay is out of this world. <laughs> Come out and work because your pay is out of this world. Really? It's out of this world? Man, I got to go. It's out of this world. That's right. We don't pay you. It's out of this world. It's out of this world. It's in the hand of God. But that's what God is saying. He has payment. I don't know what kind of payment he has, but thank God he has payment. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. We are his workmanship created to work. Now, I know that's a bad four-letter word, but God wants to serve God. By the way, I thank God for the home church. You talk about a working church. Vacation Bible School, Freedom Fest, all these dramas and the school and so many other things that go on. You constantly remind me about what it's like to serve the Lord. And I'm glad that God says you can serve God when you're young. 
You can serve God when you're middle-aged. You can serve God if you're in your old age. Sometimes people feel like they can't serve God when they get old, but here God's saying, you know what? I want you to get saved. I want you to get on fire, and I want you to serve me the best you can. Now, may not be able to kick as high as I used to. I may not be able to kick the devil in the teeth anymore, but I'll kick him in the shin. Boy, I'll tell you one thing, that hurts. Kick him. We'll just keep kicking the devil. And then there is a fifth uh, lesson, and that is this, that God is keeping his promise. God always keeps his promise. There are five lessons, at least from this story that I learned. Number one, two, and three, and four. And number five, God is keeping his promise. Now, God said to the first group, I'll give you a denarius. And he did exactly what he said. He gave it. He never reneged on his offer. And folks, when God says he gives eternal life, he gives it. I'm glad that I don't have that kind of a concept, that I can serve God all my life and somehow do something at the end of my life that messes up my standing with God and I die and go to hell. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Man, what a terrible concept. God said, no, if you start serving me at six o'clock in the morning and you serve, I'll give you that denarius that I promised. Get saved and serve me. Serve me. For the others, you need no agreement. Just trust God. And that's what the householder said. Trust me. We don't need a written agreement. We don't need a specific amount. In fact, if you'll let me pay you, I'll pay you more than you ever thought. And that's the deal about serving God. Sometimes people say, I don't, I got this to do. I got that to do. I got this to accomplish. Wait a second. Serve God. Let him pay you. Because if you pay yourself, you'll cheat yourself. We'll cheat ourselves. We'll cheat ourselves out of all that God could have given us. And that's one of the great lessons in this story is that God has so much more planned for us than we ever could imagine, ever. Well, you know, I, we try to negotiate. We try to figure out God. God says, just abandon yourself to me. Go to work for me. I've thought about over the years, people say, well, you know, what are your goals? What, what are your plans? And, you know, you read the financial page. You have to have this much money when you go into retirement or you have to have this or that. Folks, just be wise, be prudent, and then just go to work for God. Whatever he has for you, amen. You know, but just serve God and just give our lives to serving him. And then God gives one final caution. Look at verse 16. So... The last shall be first, and the first last. So he drops it on these people. So, if you insist on being first, if you demand to be first, if you insist on having your best life, if you insist on having the best education and the best job and the best house and the best cars and the best of everything and you put me last, you're going to find out you're going to come in last. But those who, who will put me first, they will have all these blessings. God says it pays to serve Jesus. Don't try to bargain with God. Just go to work for God. If you're a child, serve God. Be a choice servant of the Lord. If you're a teenager, serve God. If you're late in life and You've been standing idle, that is, you've not been saved. 
By the way, isn't that an interesting way to describe people who are lost? They're idle. Oh, no, I'm not idle. I've got a career. No, you're idle. Oh, I've got a, I've got a, great, uh, I've got a great thing I'm doing. No, I'm a, I'm a great sportsman. No, you're idle. Anybody who doesn't go to work in the vineyard for God has been all their life idle. And that's what he's saying here. Accept Christ early. Pay. For, go to work for God. And God will benefit you. God will just pour out blessings. He will 10 times, 12 times. In fact, when I read this, I think about what heaven's like. I get excited. I read the book of Revelation. I get excited. If I'm reading this scripture right, what God is saying is 100% no, 200% no, 300% more than you ever imagined. No, 400% more than you ever imagined or read. No, 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 500%. No, 1,000%. No, more than that, more than you can ever imagine or if you've ever even read about in Scripture, that's what I have waiting for you. More than you've ever imagined, just get saved. And I will pour out the riches that I have, my riches, no matter when you get saved. They're all the same for those who get born again. And for those who serve God, really this is all about serving God. For those who are early in life, serve Him all your life, no matter what it is. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.